Hello, if you have your Bibles with you, please open it with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20 and following. One of my favorite heroes of the Old Testament is named Benaiah, and his story can be found in the text that we will read this morning. The verse says, There was also Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two of Moab's mightiest warriors. Another time, he chased a lion down into a pit, and then despite the snow and slippery ground, he caught the lion and killed it. Verse 21, Another time, he armed with only a club, he killed a great Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. These are some of the deeds that made Benaiah almost as famous as the three, and he was more honored than the other members of the thirty, although he was not one of the three. And David made him commander of his bodyguard. May the Lord be blessed by the reading of his word. How did Benaiah get all this opportunity in life? And how can we experience the same? The first two conquests are remarkable by themselves, and the one that really fascinates me is his encounter with a lion in a pit on a snowy day. The detail that intrigues us here is that the Bible says that Benaiah wasn't chased by the lion into the pit. He went down into the pit and the lion was already there. In other words, the lion wasn't stalking Benaiah. It was Benaiah who was stalking or chasing the lion. You know, many men had been chased by lions, but few men or women chase lions in their own lives. In other words, are you a lion chaser? A lion chaser is someone who is willing to grab out and grab risky God-given opportunities by the main and subdue them. It is living the life of faith with guts for God's glory. So the principle, the question that we need to ask this morning is what are the principles in life can we learn from the life of a lion chaser? The first principle should be that your greatest opportunities are often disguised as God-sized challenges. Your greatest opportunities in life are often God disguised as God-sized challenge. Benaiah's name is first mentioned in the roll call of King David's mighty men. Whenever you read of the words mighty men in the Bible, it emphasizes excellence. In the Old Testament, it is used for the excellence of a lion, Proverbs 30.30, of good or bad men, Genesis chapter 10, verse 9. Of giants, Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. Even of angels, Psalm 103, verse 20. And even God himself, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. Benaiah played a very decisive role in the power struggle between Solomon and his older brother, Adonijah. And later in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 13 to 46, it was Benaiah who executed Adonijah. He also killed Joab, who was the commander of the army that supported Adonijah's bid for power, for it was a coup. And Shimei, the son of Jira, who accused David of illegitimately seizing the throne from the house of Saul in 2 Samuel 16, verse 5 to 14. The result of all of these executions is summed up by 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 46. And it says, Thus, the kingdom was firmly established, firmly established in Solomon's hands. He was so loyal to King David that some Bible scholars would affectionately call Benaiah the terminator of the Old Testament. What a name. But here's another trivia about Benaiah's background. Did you know that he was actually born to serve as a priest? 1 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 5. But he became a soldier and later the commander of David's close-in bodyguard. And in the Bible, there are priests who became prophets such as Jeremiah, 
Ezekiel, and probably even John the Baptist, but Benaiah is the only priest named who became a soldier. And for whatever reason why he switched his calling as a pastor to a career military man, we don't know. It's all in the sovereign grace and the will of God. I like Warren Wiersbe's take on him. Benaiah met the worst of enemies, a lion, in the worst of places, a pit, a hole, in a cave, under the worst of conditions, in a snowy day, and yet he won. And almost immediately you can see that from God's point of view, you don't have any problems, just opportunities. Wherever, whatever we are, wherever we are in life, you don't have any problems actually, just opportunities. Because in life, we only face two kinds of challenges. The first one is what we call human-sized challenges. These are the things that you can handle by yourselves. Grades, schoolwork, household chores, work. But there's also second kind of challenges, the God-sized challenge. These are the ones that cannot be faced without the supernatural power of God. Terrible sicknesses, facing a lion in a snowy pit in a, on a, on, on a snowy pit in a day, is certainly a God-sized challenge. When my mind flashes to this scene, my first question is, why would Benaiah kill this lion? As a background, hunting for lions for sport were only for kings back then, so it had to be one of several uh, reasons or motives. One could be that you could remember that it, this is a time of, of, uh, that food was never plentiful. Benaiah did it to feed his fellow soldiers who were hungry because of the battle that they had to go through. Lion steak, anyone? Medium rare? Or maybe because of, this, of the cold, the lion had been driven to the village in search of food, killing livestock and posing danger to the people, so it had to be taken care of. If I was a movie director and I was making an action movie of this, I would show Benaya tracking the lion through the snow. The camera would be above Benaya as he creeps along with his spear in his hand, every breath creating clouds of fear in the cold air. You see the lion tracks disappear into the pit. Benaya walks to the edge, and because he is a crafty warrior, he takes a rock and tosses it into the pit. The air is split with a massive roar that is translated into lion language. Come down. It's breakfast time. There is a great meow. No, no meow. It's a great roar. Come down. It's breakfast time. At this point, you know, most of us would have turned and run, but Benaya doesn't run from the lion. His heart is pounding with fear. His pulse is racing. His blood pressure is peaking. And his breath comes in short bursts as he summons his courage. And then with the cry of a champion, jumps down into the snowy pit. We won't show the violence of this scene because it may not be for all audiences. But along the scream of a warrior, the ear-splitting roar of a beast, and the muffled uh, scuffling of feet and paws in the snow, the dull sound of flesh tearing, and then there's silence. Most viewers would expect the lion to jump out with a man in his mouth, but instead, Benaya climbs out, bleeding and wounded, but victorious. As the camera pans out again, you see two sets of footprints leading up to the pit, but only one set of footprint in the snow leading away from the pit. In a few moments, we see Benaya fall to his knees in the snow and turn his sweaty, bloody 
face to the sky, lift his hand and say, Thank God of Israel for giving me the strength to win this battle. What a champion. That which appeared to Benaiah as a scary lion turned out to be the basis of his reputation and success. And that's because life's greatest opportunities often come disguised as God-sized challenges. What kind of fearful lion are you facing right now? You're standing at the edge of a dark pit. You want to turn around. Your fear is real. Maybe you or someone you love has lost um, uh, health and is in a, a terrible medical condition. Or maybe you're afraid because you feel that you cannot cope with life's demands. Are there relationship problems in your life? Are you seemingly facing impossible odds right now? My friends, do not be afraid. Do not feel as though you're trapped in a pit. Don't throw a pity party. There is a God in heaven who gives strength to those who are willing to jump into a snowy pit when there's already a lion there. And instead of fearing your lion, you should start looking at it as one of the greatest opportunities of your life to trust in the Lord. Your greatest opportunities are often disguised as God-sized challenges. This next slide or the next uh, illustration would be uh, very, very important to us or relatable to those of us in my, uh, in my age group. You know Popeye, okay? You remember Popeye? Kids today don't remember who Popeye is. Popeye is one of those, uh, he's a mighty sailor. And uh, who knows uh, the love interest of Popeye? Um, olive, okay? Olive oil, you know that. I could see um, uh, many of you are just understanding this, um, the older ones or the aged ones, okay? Um, uh, and then they, they, uh, he has a, a conflict of interest, okay? He has a, uh, another suitor, this uh, uh, olive oil. And what's his name again? You know his name, right? It's Brutus. And you know how uh, Brutus is a big guy. He always beats up Popeye. He's the bully in, in the story. And... Um, Every time he does that and he beats up Popeye um, and uh, gets his, the love of his life, you know what he does, Popeye? You remember? Some of you do. Uh, uh, so, so Popeye, what does he do? So he, he gets a can of spinach and then opens it up and then he eats it. And then what happens? He becomes strong and mighty and then he beats up Brutus. But there's one detail that usually we miss in the story. Before he opens a can of spinach, he usually says this one line, and it's, it's wrong uh, grammar uh, for us right now, but that's okay. This was uh, a long, long time ago. He says, that's all I can stand, and I can stand no more. So he looks at the situation, he looks at the problem, and he says, this is all that I can stand, and I can stand it no more. I mean, there's a big problem in his in his face, and he says to it, he talks to it and says, that's all I can stand, I can stand no more, opens up the can of spinach, and then he beats up uh, Brutus. Moses, during his time when he saw how the Lord's people were being beat up and being um, um, punished and being, uh, um, having a hard time uh, in, in the land of um, Egypt, he saw and he prayed to the Lord, Lord, this is enough. That's all I can stand. I can stand no more. And even King David, the young, or the, the young David, 
For 39 days, morning and evening, a champion of the Philistine army, I almost said the Philippine, the Philistine army came out to taunt the Israelites, cursing them and cursing God. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight. And for 39 days, no Hebrews stepped forward. He was taunting Israel. He was taunting the God of Israel. And young David was there and he said, that's all I can stand. Can't you stand what this, this guy is, is saying? And he said to himself, that's all I can stand. It's been 39 days. I can stand no more. And you know what happened? The next guy is this guy, the, world, the, the, um, the founder of World Vision. Uh, he was uh, on a mission trip in, somewhere in India, and he had a line of feeding um, program for kids, and it was a long line and under the heat of the sun. And then um, he was feeding, um, making sure that the line was straight and okay, and he was at the back of the line, and he saw that because of the heat, children were dying and they were falling down because of exhaustion. And then he ran to the front, and then he said to the volunteers, please make it quicker to feed all these children. And then they said, sir, we don't have any more food. And so he gathered up his friends, we went back to America, gathered up his friends and said, I can't stand this. I can't stand no more. And so he founded the World Vision to help all the children of the world by the Lord's um, grace. My friends, your greatest opportunities are often disguised as God-sized problems. But number two, your greatest problem actually depends on your idea of how great God is, is in your life. So from a different perspective, we're looking not at the problem, but you're looking at the Lord who is supposed to be bigger, larger, and greater than all of our problems put together, in fact. I like the quote from A.W. Tozer. He says that the most important thing about you is what you think when it comes to the idea of God. The most important thing about us is our idea as to who God is really in our lives. Not your education, not how much money you have in your bank, not your position, not your background or achievements. Our biggest problems can be traced back to our inadequate understanding of who God is. Sometimes our problems seem very big because our view of God is really small. In fact, we reduce God to the size of our biggest problem. A high view of God and a low view of God is the difference between lion chasers and scaredy cats. A low view of God is the cause of hundreds of problems, and a high view of God is the cause for peace. I think, put together between all these battles, I think the odds are two to one against Moab's mightiest warriors. The original language seems to indicate that these two men were heroes of Moab, and yet he fought against them and won against two great men of Moab. The second challenge that he had to face, and I think the odds here are 10 to 1 against the Egyptian giant, probably as big as Goliath. Benaiah had a club versus the giant's spear. Anyone here believe that a spear is a better instrument of war than a primitive club? And look at the size difference. Benaiah was an ordinary man versus, again, what? What? A giant. A giant, I'd love to have an instant replay of that fight in super slow motion in 1080p 
On a flat screen somewhere, the Bible says that Benaiah wrenched the spear from the giant and used it to kill him. Now, how did he do that? He was a great warrior. And of course, the odds of against the lion. I'd say that the odds here are 100 to 1. Men don't usually win in one-on-one combats with a lion. I'm intrigued how this happened. Especially on a snowy day, snow makes the ground slippery and would give a four-legged adversary with a lower center of gravity a greater advantage over a man with only two feet. Lions can run in bursts of up to 65 kilometers an hour. They can jump 10 meters, two floors up. And their eyesight, I've heard, is five times better than humans. A lion can crush a human skull with one slap of his paw, and his jaws are powerful enough to bite through any bone in our body. In short, I mean, there's no contest. You know, what we think of lions, they're cute right now because they're in cages. What happens if lions are, uh, are free and you meet them in Edsa or in the street or somewhere? We would be hiding. There's no really contest. Lion chasers thrive on challenge and on impossibilities because they know that this is the time when God will work. Too often our prayers revolve around asking God to reduce our problems so that the odds are in our lives. I like the quotation from um, John Wesley who would go on to say, Lord, I pray not for a lighter load but for a stronger back. Lord, I pray not for a lighter load That's okay, but for a stronger back. Make me stronger, O Lord. Most often in our ministries and in our Christian lives, we want comfort and not challenges. Will you believe God for greater things? Will you believe God for more difficult things? I don't know if you know this comedian. His name is Jimmy Durante. He was one of the most sought-after comedians after the World War II. In one instance, he was invited to uh, uh, speak uh, at a veteran, um, or, uh, a veteran event where there's many veterans, of course, of the war. And he was uh, so busy that he had just, uh, just uh, around 10 minutes to speak to that crowd, and then he had to go to another um, uh, appointment. And so he slipped that in his, into his uh, schedule, and then uh, time came that he went there. So he, he presented his spiel, he uh, made his jokes, people were laughing. The manager, his manager, was at the backstage uh, looking at his time and saying that, okay, 10 minutes and you had to go. Uh, he was hearing, okay, 5 minutes, they're still laughing. 8 minutes, they're still laughing. And then 10 minutes, and he's thinking that he's uh, about to end. But they, um, uh, Jimmy Durante went on and on and on. Uh, People were clapping their hands, they were laughing, everything was so happy. And then the manager was sweating because he knew that uh, Jimmy Durante would miss his next appointment. And then maybe after 30 minutes and more, Jimmy Durante gave his final joke and made a bow and then went out. The manager was furious and said, Jimmy, I told you, we just stay here for 10 minutes, but you stayed for more than 30 minutes. What happened? Jimmy said, just look at the crowd. Why? Why? What do I do? I know who these are. But looks intently at the crowd, especially those two uh, guys at the front. As I was uh, giving my jokes or sharing to them all my experiences, these two men were just laughing and then they're clapping their hands. What about them? Well, look at their arms. The first guy was a veteran of the war. They were placed at the front because they were both amputees. 
the first guy, the one on the left was uh, amputated. Uh, uh, the whole arm was cut off because he was, uh, uh, maybe a bomb went off near, near him. And then the guy next to him, beside him, was uh, the, the other arm was uh, amputated also because of, uh, oh, because of the war, of course. And so they could not clap their hands and both of them, they were seated beside and because they could not um, clap their hands, they, they raised up their arms and clapped at the top doing this and doing this so that they could just laugh and then clap and applause and give appreciation to this. My friends, it's not the problems that we have. It's how we move around it with the help of God. Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 22, such were the exploits of the son of, um, of, of, uh, of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty men. The Bible never tells us how many possessions that he gained. So we go to, we go to the third main point. Your greatest, upper, uh, your greatest satisfaction in life will come from accumulating experiences and not possessions. Your greatest satisfaction in life will come from accumulating experiences and not possessions. We read in verse 22 that these are the exploits of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. The Bible never tells us how many possessions that Benaiah accumulated. Instead, we're told about his mighty exploits, which in, in other words were, were words for experiences. Verse 22 in the NIV, Such were the exploits of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, for he too was as famous as the three mighty men. Years ago, a great Nazarene preacher named Bud Robinson visited Manhattan. He saw all the buildings, the bright lights, and the temptations of the city. Bud was a great preacher, but he had a noticeable lisp. At, at the church that night in New York City, he prayed the, fo- the following prayer. He saw all the, the wonders of the New York City, and he prayed the following prayer. Dear Lord, and this is his prayer, I thank Thee that I have seen all these wonderful things today, but I also thank Thee that I didn't see a single thing that I wanted. <laughs> I've seen all these wonderful things, but I thank you, Lord, because I have not seen a single thing that I wanted. For a true disciple of Christ, it is our experiences with Him that bring greater value to our lives rather than the possessions of the world. I could just see King David sorting through the resumes of all the bodyguards. One would say, I majored at security in the University of Jerusalem. Wow, major in security. Could be. The second um, resume says, I work for Judah Armored Chariots Division. Wow, uh, he knows his uh, armory. And he laid those aside. And then he picks up something like a, a strange name, Benaiah. And then he picks up Benaiah, and what he reads there surprised him. It says, I ripped a spear from Egyptian's hand and killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. <laughs> David said, that's the man. That's the kind of experience that I'm looking for. Second Samuel 23, verse 23 says that he was honored more than the other members of the 30, and David made him commander of his PSG. So he was the close-in security guard of King David, this Benaiah fellow, commander of the bodyguard. And we see a few verses later, the kingdom made Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, commander of the army in Joel's place, 
commander of the army, not only the head of PSG, but commander of the whole army. He made Zadok the new high priest in Abitia's place. My friends, have you ever considered that God allows you to, grow, to go through tough challenges because He is simply building up your spiritual resume? That God allows us to go through difficulties, difficult moments in time because He wants to build us up. He wants to strengthen us. Did I mention to you already that Benaiah's name means the Lord builds? Benaiah's name actually means the Lord builds. How appropriate for a man whom God has allowed to build himself up to the top. My friends, every lion you face, you go after today, is preparing you for bigger and better challenges and more opportunities for God to work in your lives. You know, our greatest regret at the end of our lives will not be the lions that we hide from, but the lions that we did not chase. It's not the lions that we hide from, but the, the lions, the opportunities that God has given us that we did not chase. Let me close with these three uh, appeals. First, there's no substitute for preparation. Whether or not he is in the military or the ministry, Benaya came prepared. Our previous speaker last Sunday, uh, Bansuelo, uh, Dr. Ed Bansuelo, the father, always told us when I was still a student at PBS, there's a prepared place for a prepared person. And this is the, uh, the logic, the, the principle that we get here. Even from his childhood, Benaya was in training and in preparation for service. His father was a chief priest. He was raised around ceremonies and workings of the tabernacle, serving Jehovah. When you serve an excellent God, again, I'll repeat that. When you serve an excellent God, you cannot just go say, uh, as Filipinos would often say, Pwede na yan. And that's, that's, that's enough. No. He was prepared and he gave out excellent exploits so that the Bible says that he won a name for himself beside the three. I like Abraham Lincoln's quotation, Give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four hours sharpening the axe. My friends, let's sharpen our axes. Prepare ourselves for ministry. Prepare ourselves for the future. The second is always the secure who are the humble. It's always the secure who are humble. There are security guards and there are insecurity guards also. Um, more of them. Filipino anthropologists often deprecate the common Filipino trait of crab mentality. Well, you know, crabs in a basket all want to go out and uh, some crabs at the bottom pull down those at the top, um, pulling down the whole pile, restarting the whole process. This should not be the case. And as we read in the Bible, my friends, we read that Benaya went down into the pit to chase a lion. Later, he went down to challenge an Egyptian, uh, Egyptian giant. Did you see that? The words that are repeated there? He went down to challenge a lion or to fight a lion. He went down to challenge a giant. You see, the, the, the more that he went down, the higher that the Lord raised him up. Finally, chase your lion. Chase your lion. When Benaya fought the lion, he did it when there was no underground. That's not an easy thing to do. I know a lot of persons who won't even come to church when there's rain on the sidewalk. My friends, chase your lion. God has created us to be all lion chasers, seeking the best for the glory of God. Every lion you go today is preparing you for bigger and better challenges. But 
allow me to be more personal as I close. Maybe some of you at some point in your life have given up the pursuit. Let me encourage you today. Maybe it's time to chase after your dreams again. Maybe it's time to chase after Christ again. I, I appreciate how this church, through Dr. Paul Litan, emphasizes the relevance of the end times for our present lives. But as we see in the book of Revelation, remember that the lion in the tribe of Judah is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation 5.5 says, But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and that's Jesus, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. My friends, maybe it's time to seize God-ordained opportunities in life again. Don't settle for anything less or one that's humanly achievable. Because if you don't have a purpose bigger than yourself, then you are your purpose, your own purpose. Let's seek Christ again. Take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Let's chase our lion. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you because you have won the victory for every one of us. We thank you because we're fighting not from the vantage point and not from the position of defeat, but because of victory. And yet, Lord, you allow us to go through while here in life, to grow, go through challenges and difficulties, not because you are a, a bad God or something, or a God who, who gives us difficulty in life, but you want us to grow. You want us to trust you. And most especially, Lord, you want us to chase you. May we continue to do that for the rest of our lives, to just look for what you are doing in our lives, doing in our churches, and help us to chase you again as our Lord and as our God. Bless us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Music